pull up on some app or another, Ephesians chapter 5. A little bit of a change of pace this Sunday morning from the book of Philippians, although you'll see there's a a tie-in to what we've been looking at in Philippians. Today we are focusing on one verse, Ephesians 5 verse 20, but so we get a little bit of the context We'll read verses 18 through 21. I have to admit I love Ephesians 5.18. Around the holiday season, instead of getting drunk on wine or some cup of other good cheer, this gives you the way to proceed as a Christian. Verses 18 through 21 is our reading. Verse 20 is our text in Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's take one more minute to pray together. Father, we think of that hymn that says we need you every hour. While that is certainly true, it is also true that we need you every moment with every breath. Indeed, it is because of you that we live and move and have our being in you. Send us your Holy Spirit, we pray. Change us and transform us during the minutes and moments and seconds of this time considering Ephesians 5.20. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I had a little bit of a start yesterday afternoon as I was finishing my preparation for this sermon, I was looking in my calendar to make sure I knew which day Thanksgiving was on because as part of this sermon's application, there's something you might want to write in your calendars on Thanksgiving Day. And I figured I shouldn't just look to see when it is this year, I should go write it and my calendar for next year so that I remember what it was I thought was worth writing under the day for Thanksgiving. And as I picked up my calendar for next year, I started thinking, I wonder how secular 2024 is. Do we still get to celebrate Thanksgiving? Is that still going to be in the calendar? And I turned to the end of the year already, you know, a little upset. I turned to the end of the year, I looked for the fourth Thursday, and nothing's there. And I was all upset, and then I realized I was in December. (laughs) Thanksgiving is still in the secular calendar for 2024. So you can consider writing this underneath the square for this year, which is this Thursday, November 23rd. It does say Thanksgiving, and mine, it's italicized. It's also there on the fourth Thursday of November in 2024. 
you can write Ephesians 5.20, A-A-A, triple A. And we'll get into what that means right now. You look in your calendar and you see Thanksgiving, and from that, you might immediately derive that that means give thanks. Very good. So far, so good. Thanksgiving does indeed mean giving thanks. Beyond that, there isn't much to go on when it comes to the calendar. But I believe Thanksgiving is a distinctly Christian concept. Not that there isn't Thanksgiving in other religions or that there isn't some idea along those lines, but it sort of comes to its own within the Christian faith. It has all sorts of depth and value and meaning when we get beyond what's written in our calendars and see that giving thanks needs to be fleshed out. And though Ephesians 5.20 is a very short verse, it does an excellent job of fleshing out what thanksgiving or giving thanks means because it answers these questions. Who, what, and when? Who should we thank? What should we give thanks for? When should we give thanks? And here's why underneath Ephesians 5.20, you can write AAA. All of the answers provided in Ephesians 5.20 begin with A. Thanksgiving to who? Well, Ephesians 5.20 gives us an address. An address that answers who we give thanks to. It's more direct when it comes to these other questions. Thanksgiving for what? The answer is for all things. Thanksgiving when? I'm glad you asked. Give thanks always. Address all things always. Ephesians 5.20. Write it under Thanksgiving, November 23rd. Address all things always. And... I think it's appropriate in this case to actually see that we are indeed working through this verse backwards, beginning with the address, then going to all things, and then giving thanks always. And I think that in itself illustrates something fascinating as we, we move into our first point. I guess today is not ABC, but AAA, address and address for our thanksgiving. And that is, in fact, at the end of the verse, that we are certainly to always give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And those, that phrase can sort of just run through our heads as uh, Christianese terms that we're so familiar with. We stop thinking about how significant and weighty and real they are. But stop for a moment to realize that Thanksgiving doesn't really make sense if there's no one to address it to. How about that for a beginning? Thanksgiving requires an address. Maybe some of you realize a man named Christopher Hitchens. I'm using him as an illustration not to be hateful or any such thing, but because he was, to the end of his life, a professed atheist who wanted to be known as such. 
And he wrote these words before he died in 2011. To the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely brought bothers to return the reply, why not? And Romans verses 18 through 21 in chapter 1 has these very sobering words. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because of that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks. And you can just hear it in an atheist going to his own death coming up with a pithy statement to the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? Think about that in contrast to whatever time you've had the blessing of spending in a senior saint's last days and moments in this life. Maybe that's the greatest privilege of being a pastor is getting to work with Christians who are coming to the end of their earthly pilgrimage. And as death spreads in their body, there is light and life in their eyes. And while they want to be there for their loved ones, they also want to go and be with Jesus. And they don't try to milk every last moment out of life, but come to a peace, giving thanks to God for the life that they had instead of making silly questions to a cosmos that doesn't even answer. Let's go beyond just Thanksgiving that requires an address. Thanksgiving requires a person. Not your lucky stars. Not Mother Earth. Not the benevolent cosmos, a higher power, some universal soul the force of Star Wars, or honestly, anything Oprah calls God. No airy-fairy, flimsy, flaky, nonsense idea of some impersonal, pantheistic entity which we're supposed to give personal thanks. We give thanks to a person. He has one name, but he's three persons. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give thanks to God, even the Father. I sort of love that Ephesians 5.20 says the Father instead of our Father, because it makes us do the legwork that we did back at the time of the baptisms and realize that the Father is our Father through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about that. You know, just stop right there for a moment. Our lives are to give thanks to God, even the Father, 
through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's marked us out as his own. We are in Christ, literally, historically, baptized into his name, claimed by him, engaged to be the Lord's. And what's left for us to do? Give thanks. Your unique place in the cosmos is to, as an image bearer of God, marked out in his triune name, saved by grace, be a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God, even our Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have an address for our thanksgiving. But the verse is chock full of ideas. As short as it is, it's equally as expansive. Not only do we know who to thank, but we can ask, what is it that we're to give thanks for? And Paul tells us, give thanks for all things. That's in the middle of the verse. Now, I want to um, backtrack just a little bit to a sermon that was actually difficult for me to preach because I knew it was very poignant, maybe hard to handle, guilt-causing. It was for me, too. It was on uh, Philippians 2.14, if you remember. And in that verse, Paul uses the same root word that's actually here in Ephesians 5.20 when he says, in all things, no complaining and no arguing. And I don't mind even offering a little bit of an apology. Um, I, that the purpose of that sermon was not to guilt anybody or to uh, make them think that they were beyond the scope of salvation or anything like that. It's when, when, <clears throat> when I come across something like that, I'm so aware that I am guilty before God every day, I realize the remedy for it is worship. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Every day I'm a sinner. I complain and I argue, and you say, in all things, I should never do that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for going to the cross for me. So that is at least my apology for making a sermon so direct and poignant. But I'm thankful for the opportunity here to focus on Ephesians 5.20 because, as I've said, that same root word in Philippians 2.14 that is so convicting in all things, do not complain or argue, occurs here. Give thanks for all things. And some of you said this to me, and it's entirely true. There is absolutely a place, and we see it in the Psalms and in the life of Jesus himself. I wouldn't say these are complaining and arguing in a sinful sense, there is absolutely a place for tears, trials, laments, griefs, sorrows, tribulations, persecutions, afflictions, pain and suffering. And it's real for each one of us. Scripture, so far from telling us not to do those things, gives us an entire vocabulary in the words of the God-man Jesus Christ himself to furnish you with the sort of thoughts 
you're to have during pain and suffering. But isn't it remarkable that even in the midst of pain and suffering, you can include in your prayer, even in this, I'm thankful to you for. That's always applicable. At the end of the life, at the end of life, sorrow, suffering, sickness, difficulties and trials. Yes, I'm crying to the Lord for relief, but I'm also thanking him for the life he's given me. I'm brokenhearted over the relationship I have with somebody in my own family. But I'm so thankful to love someone so much that it's worth having a broken heart over an estranged relationship. I'm not where I want to be with finances or whatever the case might be, grades. But I'm thankful for the opportunities that I have. I th I'm thankful for how you made me, O oh Lord. Thankful for the days that you've given me. Even in the worst of it, I have a place to say, even in this, I'm thankful to you, Lord, for... And you fill in the blank of your own life. And here's what's remarkable. If you want to know if what you're praying is appropriate, an appropriate grief, an appropriate lament, an appropriate sorrow, and not just complaining and arguing with God, include that line. Even in this, I'm thankful to you for. the life of a loved one. In our Presbyterian tradition, we speak of the Lord's Supper as just that, the Lord's Supper or, or the Lord's Table. But you probably know that in some other Christian traditions, it's called the Eucharist. The Eucharist. And that word comes straight from the Bible, not even an English translation of the Bible. It comes from the Greek New Testament, Mark 14, verse 23, and Luke 22, 17, where Jesus Christ, Eucharist, Eucharistesan, he gives thanks for the Lord's Supper at the first Lord's Supper. If you want to know what giving thanks for all things look like, looks like, think about the Eucharist of the first Lord's Supper. Think about this, and again, it's the same word in the Greek, it's fascinating. I, I read Romans 1, 18 through 21 to point out that among other things, those in unbelief, especially uh, those in atheism, they don't give th God thanks. They might cry out to the cosmos, but they don't lift up their voices in thanksgiving to God. It's fascinating that that word there, they don't give him thanks, or they don't give thanks, is a Eucharist, as in atheist. An atheist doesn't believe in God, and an a Eucharist doesn't give thanks. The unbeliever, what me and you were by nature, sinners by wrath like the rest of mankind, we a Eucharist they son, neither do we give thanks. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the only sinless man to have ever lived, the one who didn't deserve death, 
but endured it anyway, even as God. The one who is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. On the precipice of being betrayed by Judas, abandoned by all of his disciples, denied by Peter, and then while on the cross, forsaken by his God and Father, gave thanks. Perfect obedience, even unto death. Eucharist, he gave thanks. In all things, give thanks. And when you're convicted that you don't give enough thanks, look to Jesus Christ, his perfect thanksgiving at the Eucharist for your sake. In fact, make every celebration of the Lord's Supper a time where you say, Lord Jesus, I'm not worthy. I've examined myself all week long, and yes, I come, but I know I'm not worthy. Even my thanksgiving is flawed, shot through with not even imperfections, but depravity. I come to you in the perfect thanksgiving of Jesus Christ. His perfect Eucharist on my behalf amidst all the A-Eucharist of the world, even my own. I give you thanks in all things, and Jesus Christ did it perfectly, and that's my hope. That's my comfort. Address your thanksgiving, give thanks for all things. Now we finally come to the beginning of the verse. Always giving thanks. Give thanks Always. You might, if you're like me, uh, stop and realize what a rule keeper you are and how difficult that can be. And you, especially with the Apostle Paul, he does make it difficult. You hear something like, uh, always give thanks, and you say to him, pray without ceasing, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Give thanks always. Well, which is it, Paul? And I think his response would be yes. Each are portals to the other. Maybe that's so hard, why it's so hard to define what prayer is. In one statement, you can be doing so many different things rejoicing, praising, giving thanks, adoring. One is a portal to the other. They're concentric circles. They overlap one another. And it's an essentially joyful business, isn't it? Thanksgiving isn't something you associate with grouchy, curmudgeonly, angry, upset, annoyed, vexed people. I was thinking about this, that with all the different news reports on all of our different sources for the news, so rarely, maybe on like Thanksgiving only, and even that's at the end of the news report, you know, you never hear about people giving thanks. It's never like the company went bankrupt and all the employees were so thankful for the many years they had of employment. Never happens. It's an essentially thankful business. I think it was C.S. Lewis who was speaking about the joy of heaven that we'll get to, and he says, 
we'll finally get to the serious business of joy in heaven. And you think about that rejoicing, praying, testifying, speaking of the good things of God, desiring God, adoring God, giving thanks to God. One is a portal to the other. One prayer can do all of those things all at once. Give thanks always, not just on Thanksgiving. Write Ephesians 5.20. Write AAA underneath it. Remember that you're to address your thanksgiving, that you're to give thanks for all things, that you're to do it always. But, you know, seculars, secularists, do your worst. Your calendar should be a Christian calendar. And it's not just the fourth Thursday in Thanksgiving uh, of November. Every day, every moment, give thanks always. Why wouldn't you? Why would you deprive yourself of such a joy? Something that literally brings a smile to your face and is awfully hard, if not impossible, to do when you're angry or mad. Nobody ever threw a fit, a temper tantrum, in which expression after expression flew from their angry mouth of thanksgiving. Never happened. The serious joy the serious business of heaven, giving thanks always while here on earth. Do you see that? What heaven will consist of, we get to do right now. We don't need to wait for one day out of the year. We're called to do it always for all things. heaven on earth, your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven, by giving thanks. Real practical advice. That's what I need. Anytime you're tempted to say, and this is for you younger ones too, because we're all a part of the same crazy world and generation. Anytime you're tempted to say, for whatever reason, anytime you find yourself beginning a sentence, I'm so lucky. Stop yourself. I'm so thankful. And address it to God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Especially in our day. With all the freight this terrible word carries, Catch yourself from ever saying, I'm so proud. I'm so thankful. I don't have a single reason for pride. Pride terrifies me and it should all of us. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. And even in the difficult times, this stinks, or something else that you might say. Even in this, I have reason for thanks. If this didn't mean so much to me, it wouldn't be worth living for. The reason I'm so upset, down, 
distraught is because there's value and worth and glory and goodness in my life, even in this. I'm so thankful for. Bringing the serious business of heaven to here on earth by giving thanks always. Isn't there just maybe one more shade of meaning to that wonderful word, always? It wouldn't fit at all for Paul to say something like, for whatever time you're here on earth, and no one really knows how long that will be, give thanks always, and then die. If always means anything, it means now, but it means forever. It means that here on earth you should participate in the serious business of heaven, thanksgiving and joy, but it also means that you will go to heaven. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will know the serious business of heaven in heaven <clears throat> and in the new heavens and the new earth as for all where for all eternity you perform your unique place in God's creation as being someone who gives thanks. Someone full of thanksgiving. Someone who knows endless joy because you are always giving thanksgiving. And at that point, you'll be doing it perfectly. I want to close with uh, two different things that I think sort of pick us up wherever we are. Maybe there's not much that you find you can give thanks for, or maybe there's a super abundance of things for which you're thankful. Bear with me, let me read uh, these two things in closing. For any who feel there isn't much to be thankful for at this point in time, listen to this poem written by a gospel minister back in uh, England, London, at least involved in ministry. I don't know if it was a pastor. I don't really know who wrote it, but somebody wrote these words. In the heart of London city, mid the dwellings of the poor, these bright golden words were uttered. I have Christ, what want I more? By a lonely dying woman stretched upon a dirty floor, having not one earthly comfort, I have Christ, what want I more? He who heard them ran to fetch her something from this world's great store. It was needless. Died she saying, I have Christ. What want I more? But her words will live forever. I repeat them o'er and o'er. God delights to hear us saying, I have Christ. What want I more? 
Isn't it stunning that even in what we have of the Bible, Jesus does say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Be willing to say, I have Christ, not what want I more. But then he follows it up by saying, and all these things will be added unto you. Or Paul can say, he who did not spare his own son. If you have Jesus, you've got everything you could ever wish for and more. But then he follows it up by saying, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And I think Spurgeon gets at that in these words. If a man has Christ, then what does he lack? If a man has Christ, he has everything. If I lack perfection and I have Christ, I have absolute perfection in him. I lack pardon. And if I have Christ, I am pardoned. I lack heaven, and if I have Christ, I have the prince of heaven and shall be there by and by to live with Christ and to dwell in his blessed embrace forever. If you have Christ, you have all. Do not be desponding. Do not give ear to the whispering of Satan that you are not a child of God. For if you have Christ, you are his people and other things will come by and by. Christ makes you complete in himself. As the apostle says, you are complete in him. If a man has Christ, he has for all eternity. And if he has not Christ, he is poor and blind and naked and will be miserable forever. Will not you then who are listening to me now resolve in the strength of the Lord to seek him at once and make him your friend? No matter what may be your state or condition, you are invited to come to him. You blind, you lame, you who are far from Christ, come to him. Receive your sight. Obtain strength. He has made your all. You need bring nothing in your hand to come to him. You are invited to come to Christ just as you are, naked and miserable, that he will clothe and comfort you. Dear God, even our 